Hello and welcome to the Read Together podcast. I am Bob Bentley from Oneonta, Alabama. I'm a member of Lester Memorial United Methodist Church. The readings for this week come from the lectionary for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Specifically, the readings are 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, and Psalm 14. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, and Psalm 145, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and the Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. After reading through all the scripture for the week, a theme emerged for me, power, God's power, human power. I will talk primarily about the first one, that's 2 Samuel chapter 11, and touch briefly on the others. I invite you to listen to the passages with an ear for what it might be telling us about power. The first passage tells the dreadful story of David's downfall found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, This is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his own house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, You have just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his own house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him, so that he may be struck down and die. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. As I recall, that is what my elementary Sunday school teacher said, describing the first Bible story I ever heard about David. She was not talking about David, the young shepherd, the hero of that story. She was talking about the giant Philistine Goliath, 
whose physical power struck fear in all who considered confronting him. But David, the young, harp-playing shepherd, called out the powerful giant Goliath and felled him with a small stone. In chapter 7, only four chapters prior to today's reading, God had reminded David, through Nathan, how God had brought him from the fields of the sheep herder to the lofty station of king and promised that the house and kingdom of David would endure forever. But God knew what the main peril was to David. It was not necessarily enemy soldiers or nations. God promised that his love for David would endure, but that David would suffer the punishment of man for any future wrongdoing. In chapter 10, David sent his army into battle against the Ammonites and Arameans. The Ammonites retreated, but their allies, the Arameans, refused to give up. After his army could not quite finish the job, David suited up, went to the battlefield himself, and the final victory was won with his presence. That brings us to chapter 11. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. This time, it's not the powerful giant enemy that is falling hard. It is the chosen, anointed, beloved of God, David. The passage begins, In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. But David remained in Jerusalem, even after it was clear that his presence made a difference to the armies he was called to lead by God. The last of a series of decisions that brought disastrous consequences to him, those he loved, and his kingdom. David was powerful, even as a young man who spent part of his time tending sheep, fighting off bears and lions, or soothing the rages of King Saul with his harp. David was clear-eyed about the source of his power. When he defiantly told Saul he was going to confront Goliath, he said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And God did. Sometime later, probably late years into his life as king, David wrote the familiar words of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. David always knew the source of the power that enabled him to do the great deeds of his life, the things that God had called him to. But in today's scripture, his humanity is revealed. With the successes that God had allowed him came another kind of power, the power of man. It is an intoxicating thing, this power of man, and he was drunk on it. The power to delegate his dangerous duties to lesser ones, the power to control others, the power to ignore or change the rules to satisfy his desires no matter how evil, the power to murder and get away with it. But he did not get away with it. As a result of his misuse of the power he had been trusted with, his history was changed. His life was riddled with grief, murder, and turmoil. He continued to love God, and God continued to love him. But his misuse and abuse of the power God had invested in him and his trusting in the power of man, in his own intoxicating power, played out just as God had said. He and his family suffered the punishment of the violence of man for his sin. David recognized his sin in Psalm 14. 
verses 1 through 3 says, Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Graciously, the other scriptures of this week provide hope. In 2 Kings 4, 42-44, we hear the short story of Elisha. A man came from Baal Shalish, bringing food from the first fruits to the man of God, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Elisha said, Give it to the people and let them eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred people? So he repeated, Give it to the people and let them eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. He set it before them, they ate, and they had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Elisha was aware of the power of God available to him and to us. Twenty barley loaves were not enough to feed 100 people, at least not by the power of man. But in Psalm 145, verses 15 through 16, it says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. Elisha told his servant to serve the twenty barley loaves to the hundred people and let them eat, because the Lord said they shall eat and have some left. And the servant did, and the people did, and there were leftovers. Elisha truly knew from where his, tr- his power came. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, we're given encouragement about the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. Verses 20 through 21 say, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The power at work within us not the power that comes from us, the power that comes from God, not from man. What a wonderful verse from a wonderful chapter. Now, the gospel reading this week is John, the gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 1 through 21. It tells the story of Jesus feeding of 5,000 and also the story of Jesus walking across the stormy lake to the disciples' boat. The gospel story echoes themes from the Hebrew Testament. Elisha's story probably echoed in Jesus' mind as he gave the instruction how to feed the 5,000, how there would be plenty, and how he assumed that there would be leftovers. The disciples were at a loss for what to do to feed the crowd. They were still thinking in terms of the power of man, not the power of God. But once again, as it had been with Elisha, the power of God supplied abundance out of scarcity, and there were leftovers. And finally, the disciples left that place in their boat without Jesus, having just witnessed another astounding miracle. A storm came up, and maybe they grew a little concerned. We really aren't told. But when they saw Jesus coming walking toward them, 
walking on the stormy waters, then they were terrified. Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. They took him in the boat, and immediately the boat arrived on the other shore. Clearly, the disciples knew they could not call on any power of man in this situation. Storms on the water were a source of fear during that time. And now, there comes Jesus walking on the water through the storm. This is not the doing of any man. If there was any doubt left, this was the embodiment of the power of God and God alone. The lessons of power are a common theme throughout the Bible. This week's readings took us through a few of them. The anointing of David with the authority to use God's power for his will. The perversion of that power by David and his reliance on what he thought was his own power. The absolute faith of Elisha in the power of God to do what he had promised. Elisha's submission to that power. The promise and assurance of God's Holy Spirit at work within us. Not our power, but his. And of course, the ultimate example of Jesus and how to allow God to empower us to carry out his mission in the world. I'll close with the full reading of the Ephesians passage, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.